We've been spending time in this series in 1 Corinthians looking at what it means to be the church. And the church, the, word, the, the, the term church can be used interchangeably as the body of Christ, right? And we talked about Christ, Jesus being the head, and then we are the body. And this question of what does that actually look like? And if you were here last week, you know we talked about spiritual gifts last week. We talked about the ways that God manifests uh, his desires amongst his people through spiritual gifts that are given at the point of being born again. That whenever you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you are indeed born again. And if you are born again, you do have gifts that you can use for the good of the church and for the glory of God. And they're not, these aren't natural gifts, but they're spiritual gifts. They're God-given gifts. We talked about that last week. And, and so we did split those in the, this chapter into two weeks, but the reality is they're just really intertwined because Paul goes right from talking about spiritual giftedness and talking about what it means to be the body of Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is what it means to be the, the actual body of Christ and how that looks in uh, church as a whole, but it's specifically at Family Bible Church. And I wanted to tell you one quick story why this matters so much. A few years ago, we, we implemented something called the On Mission Group. And it was, On Mission was where you could submit yourself into deep relationships with other people, family, Bible church. Now, we've had some conversations as a leadership team, how well this worked or didn't work. But one of the things we got pushback on right away was this idea of, well, this is a membership form. And it's not a membership form. Uh, in as much as it's not about family Bible church, but it's about us being wanting to be open to more accountable relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And there were some people who had various objections. But one of the meetings we had was really striking to me because Carrie Adolph was part of the uh, group who helped assemble that document, and she kept pushing for the language of membership to be included in there. I said, man, that's going to be a red herring if people see it as member or membership or anything like it. They're going to go, ah, it's membership. I knew it was membership, right? And she said something that stuck with me ever since. And if you know, it's been like, what, five years ago or something. She said, we need to redeem the word member. It should be, it needs to be repurposed toward its scriptural orientation. Because for many of us, we think about membership being like an exclusive thing, right? I'm looking at my wallet here to see because I believe I have, after my driver's license, I have this card. And it's a membership card. And this gets me through the door places, right? And that's how many people think of membership. It has its privileges. If, if you try to go in, you don't have a membership card. You can't get through the door. Well, you can maybe, but you're not supposed to, right? And so we think about it that way. But Carrie made an argument in our meeting for the case of membership. And just, again, I even hear the language, and I'm like, oh, people are going to wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, being rooted in the reality of a member of the body, a part of the body. Not a privilege in as much you have, like, you're, you have um, uh, benefits and perks, you know, membership perks and stuff, but that you have to recognize as a member that you are part of something bigger that's happening. And so we're going to talk about this morning, how, what it looks like to be the church at Family Bible Church and beyond. Hopefully it'll be an encouragement to you. I pray that God's going to do that. And with that in mind, let's pray together now that he does. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to come together and worship you um, to gather on this uh, weekend to celebrate who you are and to thank you for what you have done for us, in fact, in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we confess to you that you are the God beyond our understanding. You are glorious. We've sang about it this morning. And Father, that you are the giver of gifts, that you are the saver of souls, and that you are the one who makes claims on the lives of the people that you made. And so we thank you so much for all of that. But we thank you, Father, also, or I should say, and we thank you also, Father, for the unfathomable work that Jesus did on the cross in death and in resurrection that brings us hope for this life. And so we thank you for his work on our behalf. May you be glorified, Father, forever for the work that Jesus did, that we might be saved, that we might be born again. And then this morning as we unpack what that means, Father, for some of us maybe never thought about our spiritual gifts or how we're part of something bigger than ourselves now and we no longer belong, we're not our own, but now we belong to some other um, organism. But thank you, Father, for the opportunity now to explore that with you. Would you teach us? Would you give us wisdom and insight? Would you give us clarity of thought together that we might grow as believers and the ones uh, that, and as those that your son died to save? Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Big prayers, man. So, so here we go. We're going to get into 1 Corinthians. If you brought a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to be focusing on verses 12 through 31. Um, if you didn't, you should have some on the end of the chair rows around you. Also, I think it was mentioned when you came in this morning, but hopefully you got an engagement sheet uh, that looks like this and an announcement sheet as well. 
those are helpful for those of you who want to doodle or write notes or think with me as we explore this. So I started off kind of telling the story about um, this, uh, this omniscient document and that stuff. And I wanted to just unpack a little bit of history for Family Bible Church in particular. Some of you, we've talked before, I had people often ask me, so tell me the story of Family Bible Church. One of the one of the ways that we realize we function as people is we function out of the things we're called into, right? And then we're, we function in the things we're called out of. And as a, uh, as a, a history of our church, part of what we were called out of was a brokenness about membership. And this is why it was such a, a difficult discussion to articulate clearly what we mean when we say member and not meaning uh, like a you know, vote or a privilege, but rather a connection to the body of Christ. And that's because there was some deep hurts. And I'm just being real with you. There were some deep hurts over membership. People had used membership to abuse other people. They had used rights and privileges to, to um, I don't know what you would say, like bludgeon a brother or sister. And it, w- it was very hurtful. And so this is why when people respond so, you know, to the message, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be a member anywhere. And this kind of leads to this idea that, you know, like we're going to disconnect from the church. But we know that's not what God desires for us at all. As a matter of fact, if I could just put a point on it, you can't, if you're a believer in Christ, you cannot disconnect from the church, right? You could be out in the woods, you're like, it's just me and Jesus, but that's a lie. It's you and Jesus and everyone else that he's redeeming. And so the question is, can you tolerate to be in the room with brothers and sisters for a purpose? Can God call you and use you in ways that are powerful? And so I just kind of want to talk about why it would even be a hang-up or an issue, because most churches go, what's the big deal about membership, right? But most churches hadn't been abused through membership policies, and so there you go. So this is where we function out of that. So let's read about membership then. Chapter 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are, are, uh, are many, they form one body. And that's the first realization about members, and Paul's going to press into this, but the, my clicker, there we go. Uh, members form one body. <clears throat> this is the reality. And Paul's going to teach something very basic today that we can literally see every day when we wake up, right? But he's saying, don't make the mistake of believing that you're disconnected from the rest of the body. The body is a unit. It's one, though it is made up of many parts. And though its parts are many, they're different parts. There's but one body. This ties back into the idea there's one spirit giving all the spiritual gifts. There's one Lord commanding all of us. There's one God who is God. And God is using all these things for his glory. So there's, there's one body. And uh, we are connected one to another. And so we have to recognize that. So let's, let's read on. Um, so it is with Christ. See there? Uh, for we were baptized by one spirit to form one body. And so he's going to tie in this idea of the spirit's work in our life to the connection to the rest of the body of Christ. Though all of its parts are many, they form but one body, and so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized into one spirit. So the first thing, I just want to spend a minute just thinking about how we are connected. Where do we see this manifest sometimes? I think we see this manifest in other ways that we get together with people who are dissimilar to us and find unity in a cause, right? So this might be over... um, a, a, a band that you like. It could be over a team that you follow, right? You get in this, these rooms, these groups, and you begin to feel part of something bigger. We, we build stadiums for this stuff, so we can all cheer for the same things. You have to recognize, and I, I find myself uh, doing weird things. So we went to a baseball game recently at, in St. Louis, and all the ch- crowds were cheering. Everyone was looking at the field, and I couldn't help but look at the stands, because as much as every person thought, I'm here for my own purpose, together, collectively, there was some greater purpose to why everyone is there. I think it's why we're all so impressed. We're like, you know, they sold the place out again. That's amazing, right? How many people want to come together uh, for this cause? That's like an option. Like, or how about this? Um, you have the band that you follow. I was just ris- listening to someone talk about their, their favorite bands, and they're like, I was a this kind of a person and not a this kind of a person, right? I don't listen to that kind of music, but I listen to this kind of music. And all these subsets becomes like cultural language of how we define ourselves together, yeah? So it's the music of my people, you know? We love that kind of stuff, right? And then, and then we become kind of tribal, and then we look at people askance when they come in, they don't fit. They don't belong with our kind of music. What are you doing here? This is my music, right? Getting all kind of off in the weeds. These are kind of unifying things. That, but I don't think that when we're there, I think we're there, and maybe we're so thinking individualistically that we don't recognize we're part of a bigger thing, that there's other people gathered around us. 
As a matter of fact, to be truthful with you, what happens is over time we begin to assimilate and look more like one another. We begin to dress more like one another. We begin to act more like one another. Um, you can see this almost any environment where people gather. And so we are one body in Christ. We are one. Now, I'm going to make a differentiation here in a minute. But I want to make one more point before we move on from this. We see this right now a lot, a lot with, and I hate to keep bringing this up, but the political thing. We, 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 we group ourselves up to politics, and then we go, I'm, I'm like me, and I fit here, and I'm not like them, and over there. And then we disorient ourselves from one another, and then we become, like, tribalistic, and then we begin to talk alike, and we begin to think alike, and it gets really weird. And, then, and, and so in this way, we begin to kind of self-regulate, and uh, we're part of an organism, but sometimes it doesn't function right. And there's like some part of it where like, ah, oh, this, you know, like, yeah, I like this music, but there's other good music, right? Like, I like this team, but that team's pretty good. You know, football's kind of fun anyway, no matter who wins the game. Kind of, right? Um, and so there's some part of us that goes, wait, wait, wait. So how's this different from, from the body of Christ? I, I have one reason it's different. Because Christ has claimed you as part of his body. This isn't you self-selecting into the team of Jesus, this is Jesus goes mine, and now you are part of the body. And that's a big deal because I think if we don't recognize as someone who's born again that we're part of the body of Christ, we live in rebellion of the one who saved us. If we aren't willing to submit in humility to say, yeah, you, you know, I'm part of a, something bigger than myself, that this gospel is bigger than me, and that while Jesus died to save me from my sins, he died to save all of us from our sins, and then we together are his body. If we can't start there, we're, it's, it's, we're, we're lost in the beginning, honestly. So we have to recognize that we are indeed one body in Christ. I wanted to take a minute to talk about that because then Paul turns very quickly into a second point here, which is this. Because we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. And that's when he ties in directly the moment of salvation for you. You were baptized in the spirit of God and became part of one body. And so that's the second thing, is we are baptized in one spirit. This then very clearly connects the previous part of this chapter, the spiritual gifts, into your rebirth, right? That you were born again, you were given spiritual gifts in Christ that are unique and for manifestation for the purposes of the church, that for the purposes of God in the world. They're not ours to be kind of treasured away or sheltered away and kept in like, this is my secret gift. No, it's for you to use that God would be glorified and others would be blessed or encouraged. And we had talked about that. And so, but Paul says here that we were actually baptized by one spirit into one body. Lest we forget who Paul is talking to. Because you go, okay, well, when Paul says we, what does he mean? Here's the way this letter starts. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, so he's writing with someone else, right, not alone, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. He's like, oh, that's cool. The church in Corinth. That's who. But then he adds this line on, together with all those people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. There he starts his theology. One God, one church, one people. And so I want to say that because sometimes we get off in this tangent about, are you baptized in the spirit of God? We said last week, you can't say Jesus is Lord unless you've been born of the spirit. And you can't, or without the Spirit of God. And you can't say Jesus is nothing without, if you have the Spirit, it's not possible to kind of, you know, denigrate him in that way. And so here Paul says we've been baptized into one Spirit. A couple ways we can talk about this. The literal baptism. We've been talking about we have baptism upcoming. And um, we literally put people underwater by immersion because that's our conviction. And then we raise them from the water. It's a symbolization, a symbol, symbolism of dying and being raised to new life. But it does not happen in the moment you get wet. And we have to understand that. Because there are people who believe, well, yeah, but if you're not baptized, you're not saved. And it's one of the things I constantly have to talk to you about. You no, know, baptism is not salvific in nature. We are saved because of Jesus Christ, and we are in that moment because you've come to believe he is Lord of your life. He is your Savior and indeed your Master. That in that moment, you are born of the Spirit. You cannot get to that place of your life without Christ. You can't. You, there, there's no way. And so once you... Um, so we have this recognition that you're baptized and you raise new life. So this is, in fact, what's happened. So then what's baptism? It becomes a recognition to the community of what I'm, who I am now. I'm agreeing with God. Yeah, I'm born again. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. And so therefore, because of that, we submit ourselves to baptism. We baptize and raise to new life. Other reasons I won't get into. But I wanted to say that because this is exactly how we're baptized into the Spirit. 
the, the word here can be baptized uh, in one spirit, but it can be baptized by one spirit, and it can be baptized into one spirit. All three words are found there in the Greek. It's the same meanings, right? And so there's these little footnotes in your Bible that says this can be by, into, or in, right? Because people's doctrine gets hung up on one of those things. But I want you to understand this. That the spiritual gifts have been given, that the place in salvation will be given, is bought by the blood of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit of God. And therefore, we have been immersed in God's Holy Spirit. I love the vision of baptism because it's, you're fully surrounded, right? You ever get in a pool and you're kind of like weightless? It's like, it's kind of fun, right? So we go on vacation, we get into the pools. Like, this is the experience of knowing the Spirit of God. That we, we get to kind of float in who he is. That he's, he's with us and around us and before us and behind us and above us and below us. You know what I'm saying? That when we get into conversations, by the way, this is a great point about teaching. Is why should we not be a, because you'll be given the words, focus on what God's called you to do. God, this, even the frenetic time, the night before when you're getting ready to teach, you're like, I'm not ready for tomorrow. Like, pray. That's a moment of God, right? The Spirit of God. We pray and we trust God. We're being immersed in the Spirit of God. We're being baptized into one Spirit. And, the, and I just want you to get that imagery. So it's the same thing that we literally see uh, physically manifest in baptisms, but that's the true state of things for people who are spiritual. You're immersed in the Spirit of God. You're breathing the Spirit of God. We are baptized into the Spirit of God. And he says, then what? Into one body. So this baptism brings us into the body of Christ. And we have to understand these two things before we get into the rest of the text because we're going to get into specific uh, um, parts of the body. And that's going to be the main part of today's conversation, is the parts of the body. But look at what he breaks out, four groups here. You're baptized into one body. Paul says this. So, so what we should see here is he's going to start integrating disintegrated groups. That's what Paul's going to do. He's going to say, whether Jews or Greeks... Whether slave or free, whether cardinals or cubs, whether Republicans or Democrats, but not independents, <laughs> whether, you know what I'm saying, right? We read that and we go, what's the big deal, man? Jews were going, we're not like those people. And Gentiles were going, we're not like those people, right? Slaves were going, we're not like those people. And the free people were like, we're not like those people, right? Paul's like, no, man. You've been baptized by one spirit into one body, whether you're Jew or Greek, whether you're slave or free. We've been all given one spirit, and then, oh man, to imbibe, to drink. One spirit. Now, probably some of you may be already uncomfortable now, because I talked about cards and cubs. Okay, well, get a bigger worldview. You know, you know what I'm saying? Get a bigger vision of the gospel than that. Um, I'm joking, but there are some things that we, close, we hold so close to our identity, you know, that we let it trump or triumph over the, the, um, uh, the, truth, the truth of who we are in Christ. We let it overrule. We let us being separated from others become a barrier to the gospel because we're not like them. But that's not what's being said here. He's baptized you into one spirit, into one body. That we are baptized by God, by his spirit, and therefore being reintegrated in a, a powerful way. And so Paul's kind of laying this out as this kind of, and, and so here's the thing. So we start talking about how family Bible is different in other churches because we come out of some hurts, right? But then we're part of that kind of disintegration of the church in a way. And that should grieve us a little bit. But I'm not grieving us uniquely, but it should grieve us as much as it grieves any other church that's not united in Christ. One of the great privileges I have as pastor is I get to spend time with brothers and sisters who are also about the gospel of Jesus, but don't gather here on Sundays with us. I've even had conversations with pastors that said, you know, why don't we all just close down our individual churches and come together? You know how big a church would be if we all got together in one room, right? And I was like, well, that's a grandiose idea, but isn't that what the church is anyway? We're just not all in the same room. Like, can't we see the vision of what God is doing differently through brothers and sisters to, for the purposes of the gospel? Even whenever we get together, someone doesn't agree with us. And they begin to challenge our theology. So we have to go back and look and see, what does it actually say? Are we wrong about this? This becomes a purpose for the body of Christ. So Paul makes a point here. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, all are being given one and the same spirit to drink. And that's just now. Now you go from baptism, right, to actually intaking the spirit of God. Um, I don't know if you tried to breathe underwater. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work, right? You ever come up? You ever come up and have you sucked in some water? You come up, man, that is, that is a bad scene, right? There's like this visceral response to what's happening, um, and you're just trying to survive at that point, right? But that's what Paul says. Not only in, above, around, uh, not even above, below, and around us, but in us, the Spirit is given as real drink. You remember what Jesus said about his communion table? 
This is my body and this is my blood. This is real food and real drink, right? So again, we see this unification of who God says he is, who Jesus claims to be, listen to me, and who the Spirit of God is that's working in our lives right now. So are you comfortable with this conversation? Are you comfortable believing that God has claimed you for his gospel purposes and is putting you on the field with his help to be used, to not, you know, to, to, to be in it, not watching it, but participating in it? Let's read on and find out. Verse 14. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. What's Paul teaching there, right? Some, first of all, some very basic things we can all see ourselves. Like you all have bodies. Well, if you know this, you could see right now, you could do this if you wanted to. Be weird, do it. No, you don't do it. But, you know, look at it. Look at your hand. Look at your arm. Like you're, it, you have one body. So he says this, the body is not made up of one part, but of many parts. And he says this, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, so let's get literal, if your foot said, if your foot said, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not stop being part of the body. Do you see what's happening? A couple of things here. There's a tendency the foot would have to say, I'm not part of the body, you know? Like, I don't know how that really would work, but just go with the analogy. Like, you're just getting walked on all day. What's well, so heavy? You're just doing your thing as a foot. The foot is just under everything. And if the foot, but there's a tendency, and we have to understand this, that the foot would say, I'm doing all this myself, right? Like, all day, on the ground. I'm not, those people, I have nothing to do with those people up there. Here's what the word says. No, the foot belongs to the body. See, members belong to one another. That's what the word says. Because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body. By the way, there's something else happening in here. The foot's comparing itself to the functions of the hand. Have you ever tried to pick up something with your foot? How many can do it? My people. Yeah. How many of you are proud when you pick up something with your foot? You're like, yes, I saved the trip all the way down there, <laughs> right? Listen, that's the reality, right? But you're comparing two things that have different functions primarily, primarily. You can, you can learn, but primarily it's not your normal function. If you say, if the foot says to the hand, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, would it, for that reason, it would not, Paul says, for that reason, cease being part of the body. And then the next one, if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. So now you have different things, right? Now you have an ear and an eye. Function differently than a foot and a hand. Kind of close, right? You can kind of listen for what's happening. You can look around and, and see what's happening. But they're different. They're just they're subtle differences. But Paul's point is what? No, they belong together. They belong together. We were out yesterday, uh, and we were riding motorcycles around, which was awesome. We spent a long time doing it, right? And I had this GPS in my phone. You guys have that? It's pretty cool, right? But there's a rule. You can't have your phone in your hand whenever you're driving anymore because Illinois. Okay, fair enough, right? So that can't happen. So I've got ears only now. I don't have my phone put somewhere I can see it anymore, right? And I was really frustrated because I'm like, give me some direction. But I was only able to listen, and I didn't know where I was going anymore. I was just driving on this road. It told me to get on it like 18 miles ago. I can't track mileage. Like, I'm just driving the car. And it's like, or the motorcycle. And I'm like, when am, when am I going to know? And it was so tempting to just pull this thing out. Yes, on the motorcycle, people, and look at it. Go, okay, okay, three more blocks, three more blocks. What is that? I was being robbed of my vision, right? Try it sometime. Just try listening to directions. By the way, I'm convinced this is why couples have fights, uh, because <laughs> if, if Chris was the one giving me those directions on my GPS, we would have had a fight over it. <laughs> like, Tell me again, where are we going? Tell me again, where are we going? No, 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 right? <laughs> that should be a voice pain, by the way. Say it again, say it again. I'm unsure of where I'm heading. No, but I was being robbed of my vision, and I realized, and I said it, I got to get a mount for my phone so I can see the directions. But you know what? If I can see it and I can't hear it, it's like, is that street next or is it three streets? I can't, I'm not sure. So you kind of need all these things. Paul says what? If this is the way the eye says, it doesn't stop belonging to the body when it says it does. And again, notice that tendency. The eye might say, I'm not an ear. I don't belong to the body, right? Or the ear might say, the ear might say, I'm not an eye, belong to, I don't belong to the body. That would not be true. The ear still belongs to the body. The foot still belongs to the body. And the hand and the eyes belong to the body, right? And so he's like, no, we all belong to one another. Now, how is that true? 
Because it's like we all belong to the body, right? But the body is a whole, right? So you have to start to understand that, that our participation is for a greater purpose and a greater good, and we can do more apart, uh, together than we can apart. We have to recognize this in the body life, that there's something that when we're isolating and we're pulling ourselves away, that we're not only denying the body us, and we are, right? Let's be honest. That's probably the main function. Like, they can't have me because I'm not going to mess with those people anymore. They're, they're painful to be around, and fair enough. But not only are we denying the body who we are, but listen, we're denying ourselves participation in the body, right? Like if you took Paul's teaching literally, if the foot could literally leave the body, where's the foot going to go? Nowhere, nowhere. But it would be proud. I ain't part of that body no more. I'm just sitting out here, right? But if the foot were to recognize I'm part of the body, we get to cruise around, man. We get to go places. We get to grab things. We get to see and hear things, right? I get to know things. I get to experience things I would never experience any other way. But the truth is that we belong to one another. And we had to recognize that. Recognize that. Verse 18. But in fact, God, oh, I might have skipped something here. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah, no, no. 17. I skipped one, y'all. Here we go. <clears throat> 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Now Paul brings in another part of the body that he hasn't even mentioned yet. He's like, oh, and by the way, the eyes and the ears, as in all of it. And if you never know, where would the sense of smell be? And you can continue to kind of go out this thing. And the reality is that members offer unique abilities. And I mean that. I know I can pick up towels with my toes, but I can't, like, pick up, I don't know, coins with my toes, right? Like, I mean, there's limitations to what can be done. But my fingers, yeah, yeah, much better, right? And so every part of our body has unique ability. Our ability to see, our ability to hear, our ability to smell, our ability to taste and to touch and to know. And by the way, don't miss the connection to that intimacy that God is driving towards in the gospel, right? Remember, we started with a communion table where we said, taste and see the Lord is good. This is my body. It's real, uh, real food, and my blood is real drink, and my promises are real promises. It's to be participated in and partaken of. And so here he's like, there's unique senses or unique abilities. Matter of fact, that's another way we could say it is members offer unique abilities. That means a function, perhaps, like a foot or a hand, or members offer unique senses, like an eye or an ear. This might be why when you're together with believers and someone says, I see this, and someone's like, uh, I see this other thing, they could both be accurate, right? They're sensing it differently. <clears throat> if you think about the literal eye and ear and nose connection, you have to recognize that they're sensing the same things in different ways. So what is the function of the body? If you just think with me, if, if it's to, 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 to walk to something, to, to take it and to look at it, and then to smell it, and then to listen to it, I don't know what it'll be, listen, and then to taste it, like, what is the function of the whole body? To get it right. Because if any one of these signals is off, it's like, no, wait, stop, 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 stop. This might be poisonous. This might be bad for you. Wait, 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 wait. Stop, 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 stop. You might be wrong about this. I'll make another connection to our church life here, Family Bible Church. Um, I tell people all the time, they say, what kind of church are you? And I say, you know, what does your church believe in? I'm like, Jesus, right? What, what kind of church are you? I'm like, we're a local, non-denominational, non-affiliated church. That's a lot of mouth language for people to understand. They're like, what do you mean local, non-denominational, non-affiliated? Like, what, what, what church are you part of? I'm like, family Bible church. They're like, what? I'm like, this is it. Like, I, some people, people are in here, and I just show them. Like, see this? This is where we gather. This is everything in Family Bible is the people who gather here. This isn't the church. This is the building we meet. But this is where the people gather here, and this is us. And it's so hard for people to understand. There's, so there's nothing. I'm like, well, yeah, there's the body of Christ. <laughs> and that's in all the churches who are preaching the gospel and believing. Yeah, but we're this manifestation of it here locally. And, um, and, and, and I confess to them immediately all the time. They go, wow. And they'll either say, that's great. I've never heard of such a thing. Or they'll say, that's terrifying. <laughs> and I say, yes, this is great and terrifying. Because if we come on some questions about doctrine, we have to go and look at the Bible and say, what is the, that's why we're family, Bible church, y'all, in case you look and see, what does it say? And someone can say, this Bible verse seems like that. And we got to go look at it and go, oh my gosh, it kind of does say that. Let's talk about that. And how does this happen? Because we're talking to one another. You see this? And now, that's, that's the um, uh, good part about it. And that's the hard part about it. Um, what is the dangers of it? And let me say one more good thing about it. No one's cramming down things to worry about. There's no national structure saying, this is your issue, and this is your theme for the year, and this is what you're going to do. And if you don't agree with us, you're out. There's none of that, right? And so you could say, well, good, because we can deal with our problems in our locality and our way and the God and the gospel and the spirit moves. Man, we're on it, right? What's the danger then? It's the same. The danger is we're not listening. We're not paying attention. 
We're not being honest with one another. We're not using our spiritual gifts. And only a few of us, eyes or ears or nose or feet, are talking and running things and making a mess. And other parts are like, this is, this is a mess, but they don't say nothing, right? So we're out in the weeds. Or how about this? Amongst other churches, we're not listening. When a brother or sister from another denomination says, you got it wrong about this, let's have a conversation then. I want to understand. Teach me what you know about the gospel. Teach me what you know about Jesus Christ. And let's see if we can find it confirmed in Scripture, because that is the touchstone for us. We don't just go off willy-nilly. Why? Why is it dangerous? Some of the, this is for real, peeps. Some of the most dangerous things in Christianity have happened when non-affiliated churches have just gone rogue and followed after a worldly leader. You know some of the signs that comes from this, that comes before this? They begin to believe that this guy is the leader. This church is about him or her. And they are the new God, the new Messiah. And that's a lie straight from Satan to destroy the church of God. And that's why we hear these crazy things that happen. How does it happen? Because the body, and, and I mean all of us, aren't actively participating to discern the truth, what's happening. That we're part of something much larger. So there's danger in that, right? And then there's danger in feeling like, and this is the other thing, by the way, that we have all the answers and, and others don't. Not true. It's not true. So we are part of a larger body. Okay? And so he says all this. So where would these other senses be? Where are these other um, gifts of be? Or these other um, abilities? And the truth is, as part of the body, you have unique abilities or maybe unique senses or both that the body needs uh, from you. I go on about this, but I won't. But I mean, this is real talk and a real problem, a real problem. And, and, and you know, if I could offer one word of challenge here, it's most often the people who get sick of the group and are like, I'm going to bounce that you have to say, well, wait, if you understand this, stay and help. I know where this is going. I'm out of here. Wait, wait, wait. If you know where it's going, help, right? Help the rest of us who don't understand what's happening. And that's often the most difficult um, conversations to have because uh, people aren't often willing to do that work, to stay and to help or to participate, to do what God has called them and gift them to do. And I'm not meaning just in, in bodies in general, not meaning family Bible, but in any context. Um, this is why, and this is just truth, but I've had people call me up, and they'll be like, I'm looking for a church. And I'm always like, oh, tell me what's going on. And they'll talk about their faith history. And they're like, and then so-and-so did such and such. And boy, oh, boy, and all this stuff, right? And I hear it, man, and I know it. And then I'm like, and what? And how do you know God isn't calling you to stay and change that? How do you know? That because it's gotten hard, God said leave. I said that one time to another pastor. He goes, what's wrong with you, man? Don't you want people to come? I'm like, absolutely, dude. But not if God's calling them to stay there, and if there's something that's broken in that church, and God's showed them it's wrong, and he wants them to stay and to work. No, no. Why? Because it's God's body. It's God's people. Now, I'm not saying that people always stick around for that. But, I mean, isn't that a question we should ask? Maybe. The whole body were an eye. Where would the hearing be? If a whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be, right? Here's the problem, right? 18. Why would I say stuff like that? But in fact, Paul says, in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. What we run into here is that we have unique gifts, our unique abilities, and unique senses, but we are arranged by God. We are literally arranged by God, and we ought to pay attention to that arrangement. We ought to recognize in this move, in this position, this is where I'm at, God has me here for a purpose. Paul says, but in fact, God has arranged the parts. What does it mean to be arranged? It means that God is aware that you're an ear or you're an eye or you're a nose or you're a foot or you're a hand, right? God knows who you are. And then the second thing it means is God knows where you are. He puts you there. It's not an accident. It's, it's, it's his sovereign thing. So we go back to some of these conversations. Is it fair to say God's used us like having left another church because of membership issues? Yeah. Fair enough, man. If God used you because you come out of some hurt context, and now you're bent a certain way against the hurt. Yes, fair enough, right? But God has arranged you in the places then to manifest that desire he has for his people. Okay, this is the crazy thing about the church of God then. It becomes self-correcting over time. In our best days, when we're attentive to what God is doing, we become self-correcting. We say, no, 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 no. And the people who are awake and aware of the Spirit of God, I'm not saying that as an exclusive claim. I'm just saying, you know, you walk, and you're like, yeah, because you get down to the gospel. Okay. Um, <laughs> you're, I'm just laughing because the soundboard just went, whip, and we're back. Uh, <laughs> but God arranges every, every one of them where he wants them to be, right? He puts us in these places for a purpose, Okay, and let me say one more thing, and for a time, 
one of my favorite things about the omniscient statement that we developed here that people could opt into, and you still can, by the way, officially, you can still opt into it, is it says, in, at the end, the last line says, and when the time comes that you feel God calling you to leave, I will let brothers and sisters know. And it's like, what? And it's like, yeah, because it's for a while, right? I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, it's for a while. And we've had the honor, and this is unique, and again, I tell other brothers and sisters in other churches about this, and they're like, this, I've never heard of such a thing. That when folks feel God calling to move on, we say, let's pray for you. And we pray, and we mean it. God, would you use them where you're sitting there? Would you help them to find their place? Matter of fact, we're praying right now for some of our folks who are just, they would find their home in the family of God, that they would find the place they belong and could participate and use their gifts and talents. And this is awesome. And it's the right um, functioning of the body of Christ that we, we openly receive. We, 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 we do things together, and then we send people on when they're ready, when they feel like they, they want to move on, right? God has arranged all the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wants them to be, okay? So God has you with a, t- a set of talents and a space for a purpose. We begin to understand this. If they were all one part, where would the body be? So if the, everything was an ear and an eye, where would it be? As it is, there are many parts, but there is one body. And so God's doing all this stuff. Now, all of a sudden, what does that do for Family Bible Church? It lets us incorporate the gospel, not just what we're doing, but what churches and other places are doing as well. We get to participate with them through Christ in the gospel work that they're doing. Therefore, we don't feel like we are competing with them. We're not trying to beat them at anything. We're trying to encourage them to run faster, right? We're not trying to duplicate or repeat things. We're not trying to be unique necessarily either. We're trying to manifest what God has for us here, and there might be some overlap, but we're not primarily trying to compete with a brother or sister. We're trying to compete to share the gospel with the world. That's our competition, is the non-gospel. And we're trying to win as a team. We begin to uh, participate together. So God has arranged all the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if we were all one, where would the body be? We would be hopelessly lost if we only had eyes or ears or feet or hands. But as God would have it, we have a unique arrangement given by God. 21. The eye cannot say, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts which we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there would be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Just basically saying it's all one body. The wins and the losses, the victories and the failures, right? All one body, and they affect all of us. And what and what what's the what's the one of the teachings we take from this? And it's this that members are not working, indispensable. There it is. Are all indispensable, right? That members are all indispensable. I said to you before, there's a tendency for some of us who are feet or hands to say, I don't need the rest of the body. I'm going to go off and do my own thing. And it means we just lay around because how do you do something without the rest of the body? How do you actually do anything productive without the rest of the body? But fair enough. You're like, I'm doing it, my thing. But the other side of that coin is we think there are some parts that don't, we don't need. So you go from Paul saying that some parts of the body say, I'm not needed, to some parts of the body saying, we don't need them, right? And that's a different kind of a thing. It's saying, I don't need it. And Paul makes a point, I think it's in verse 19 there where he says, um, 18, but in fact, oh, no, no, let's see, 22. On contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That means they can't be gotten rid of. That means they're there by God's design, his divine authority. They're part of the body. They're indispensable, can't be discarded. A couple things. That means that we have a tendency to want to discard things that we don't see value in. Well, how is that adding to the mission or the cause of the gospel? Let's just get rid of it. Let's cut them out. But here Paul makes the case, no, those parts that are weaker are actually indispensable parts. The parts that seem to offer less function in a day-to-day operation might be the most vital parts of the organization. It's like a way of saying this. The most important work that God's doing might be unseen work amongst the body. It might not be some flashy, you know, like representation of movement. But it might be some just subtle 
just a joint, just something small that's happening. It's letting this other thing happen. It, it can connect us all together as a body to know that there's some part I'm functioning in the body of Christ. And that we ought to recognize that we need one another, that we're not indispensable. The eye can't say, I don't need you. And the, the head cannot say, I don't need you. On the contrary, the ones that are weaker are required to be had in the body. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. What should this mean for the church? We should be willing to take the time to set and try to understand when we don't understand. If there's someone that's hurting or, what do you say, like uh, accusing, or and we should be willing to set and listen to what they have to teach us, right? We, we, it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean we all sense things rightly, but it means we should be willing to listen to one another and then try to integrate through the Spirit of God, like, God, is that what's happening here? Or is there something else happening here? And um, this indispensability means that we ought not to flippantly just write people off, you know? One of the things I think we do as people is we categorize people so we don't have to deal with them anymore, right? And going back to our team's thing, right? Like, well, you're a Cubs fan. <laughs> I'm kidding. We know baseball's a joke, right? But we do other things, don't we? You're not my people. And we push you away. I told you this story one time. Uh, I was up in Springfield for a, a pro-family rally, man. I'm, I love the family. Family is awesome. God put us all in a family. And we have families of birth and families of choice. And, and, and God's love is permeating all these things. Um, but there was a few people who were protesting the pro-family movement. And not, I mean a few. I'm not being ignorant. We had thousands of people there who were like, yeah, families are awesome. And then like three people standing there like looking out of place, not dressed. And they just like don't agree. <laughs> and I was just drawn over to them. Wait, wait, wait. Tell me what you're thinking. Why do you think that you're being excluded? Tell me, and, and you say, oh, now you're, so you're getting attention and power. No, man, don't. Shouldn't we listen? What are we getting wrong? If you're going to show up with two of your friends and stand here, what do you disagree with? Can we have a conversation? Is that part of the indis indispensability of the body of Christ? I'm going to say some dangerous things. If someone doesn't agree with you doctrinally, are they not an indispensable part of the body of Christ? Now, where do you get to? What do you believe about Jesus? Well, he's a great teacher. And, uh, okay. Well, she starts to nah, he's God. How, how are you forgiven? Well, I'm working really hard to be a better person. But do we say, I don't need them? No. Then we're like, man, I, I love you. <laughs> you, should, you should know who you are. You should know that you belong. You should know that God has a healing for your hearts, right? How do you know if that person's not an indispensable part of God's body? Well, I know I can't talk to people like that. I know it. I've been taught it my whole life. Those people ain't like me. I ain't going to talk to them. Safe from over here. We're different. How do you know? Listen to me. When the Spirit of God gives a heavenly birth and they're born again and it begins to walk them out of hurts and brokenness, how do you know that they don't come into the room and give a voice that has never been heard? How do you know? You see, because the indispensable parts of the body become bigger than even the people who are now believing in Christ, but those who are yet to believe in Christ. This is the hope of the gospel. How do you know? people often before they're believing say I couldn't every part of a church because I don't fit in there they don't understand this new birth and this new body connection that they'll be given the parts that are seen to be weaker become indispensable the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor man what an awesome gospel witness to have heard stories of people who are converted and delivered out of all kinds of hell that we would never have known we would never have known the profession the confession of Jesus Christ They've been saved. Praise the Lord. We ought to be a little uncomfortable with what God is doing with the gospel. We ought to be a little disoriented because of the way he's saving people, the way he's honoring himself amongst the nations. So we treat these parts with special modesty, and we, we know they're valuable. We value them before the Lord. We say, yes, I know they're part of your body, God. What does that mean for us, and how do we function? How do we live differently now? Verse 25, so that, is, so that there should be no division in the body, but that as parts should have equal concern for another. And then all of a sudden, when one of us has victory, we all have a victory. When one of us has defeat, we all have a defeat. And that means we don't have all victories, and we don't have all defeats, but we have all experiences together. We grieve and we mourn when brothers and sisters are hurting, and we celebrate when they're winning. And that's way less to do about us and way more to do about Christ. It's way less to do about our own narrow view and way more to do with what God is doing through the gospel of Jesus. That's profound. We celebrate when our brothers and sisters win and we grieve when they lose. Verse 27 then. Now you are part of the body. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. 
This is your story. You're involved. You're not your own. You belong to a group, and that group belongs to Christ. 28. And in the church, then, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, and secondly, prophets, and third, teachers, and fourth, workers of miracles. Thought I'm putting numbers in here at this point. And fifth, those having gifts of healing. And sixth, those being able to help others with gifts of administration. And seventh, the speaking of different kinds of tongues. There's not numbers for all those, but you know what I'm saying. He's delineating some of the ways that God has given gifts to the body in each other. You all have gifts. You're part of what God is doing in the world. And he's like, lines them out, apostles and prophets. We talked about this in the last few weeks. Teachers, those who didasco, who would teach good doctrine, good thinking to people, to others, and to, to um, peers and to others. Workers of miracles, those giving, having gifts of healing, of comfort. You know, those people who are just good and, and genuine and caring. Those who are gifted with administration, they can t get things done. Task-oriented people. I sense all these things all the time in the church of God, how we have this tendency to kind of wrestle against each other, not knowing that we have different functions in the body. And we need all the functions to be functioning to function. And different, speaking in different kinds of tongues, right? We talked about all that stuff. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? See what he did there? He told us this whole story about a body, like a physical body that you have right now. You can use it if you want to. And then he began to talk about these roles, these parts of the body that are connected together. And then he began to ask, what would a body be if it's all ears? And then he says, now are all teachers or all He's like begging the question. Do all have the same works, the same manifestations? Does it always going to make sense to you that someone's feeling called by God to do this other thing over here? Is it always going to intrinsically make sense to you? Does it need your approval for it to happen? Or is this the church of Jesus Christ? Is this the church of God globally manifesting grace in its various forms? He's begging the question. Are all apostles? What's the answer? Some of you are shaking your head. Really? Are you sure? Or if he says, um, are all prophets? What's the answer? No. Yeah, we can say that. No, not all. Are all teachers? No. But many parts make one body. Look at verse 31. We're going to end here. But eagerly desire the greater gifts. And this is the eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now, I know, I know um, we're going to want to just, just run into 13, man. We're right on the doorstep of 13. Eagerly desire greater gifts. You know what we do with this verse? We go, but eagerly desire greater gifts. That means whatever he just said doesn't matter because what's next is what's really important. But I don't think that's accurate. I think what he just said is really important, really important. I think you can't do 13 unless you understand 12. You can't do it. You can't do love right if you don't understand the way God has put his body together and gifted us together. So what does that mean for us this week? If we're holding right there on the doorstep of 13. What does it mean? Members have gifts and parts, right? So the last, the last line, but eagerly desire the greater gifts, right? Members have gifts and parts. Or a better way to say it is members are parts, but I couldn't fit it up there. Or maybe we could say members have gifts and roles, right? So you have a, a function and you have a talent for the function. And it's a God-given function and a God-given talent for the function. And it ought to drive us back into the gospel of Jesus Christ. It ought to drive us continually back into faith. I'm going to go back to something I started with. I asked if many of you felt like you weren't qualified to teach. And now we just said out loud, like, not all of us are teachers. Right? I'm off on teaching. Fair enough. But I wonder how many of us aren't recognizing our role and our gifts in the church. Like, how many of us are just sitting back going, somebody should, not me, but somebody should, right? And how many of us, and this is the question, disbelieve the gospel to the point that if you show up because you see something and you feel an obligation to make it right, that God's going to leave you there, not help. Does that make sense? Like, sometimes the overcoming that fear is rooted in a lack of faith. That the fact that you aren't willing to take the risk that God has shown it to you, he's given you some idea of what the solution is, and you won't live and step into that, is demonstrating that fundamentally you believe in the moment, ah, God's not going to show up. But what's the other side? That if we do, like, you know what? Sure, I don't feel like I'm a teacher, but I'll try teaching. And you begin to struggle and wrestle, and you pray. And you're like, ah, what am I going to say? Oh, I got nothing to say. You're everything. You see, and it begins to drive us back into relationship with who God is. And it all comes back to being driven into a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the head of this body. Listen, is the head of this body. 
and is the head of the bodies of all the local churches that are devoted to the gospel of Jesus. He's in charge, and we recognize that. So here's my final question then. What does it mean to be part of the body of Christ? What does it mean to be part of the church? Or or how about this? What part are you? What part are you? And I can sense it. I'm probably not part. It's not true. Not if you believe in Jesus. Hate to leave you the burden today. What part are you? What part are you? Only Jesus can make this work. We're going to pray to him now. All this is rooted, though, in salvation in Christ. Everything. And this is why it becomes the overarching uh, conviction, of course. So pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the way that you are building your church. We thank you for the good testimony that we have from the very earliest believers that where else would they go for words of wisdom because there's nowhere else to be found. That the reality is that in your son Jesus, we have life and we have it abundantly. Then we get to participate with you after, through our salvation, because we're saved, we get to participate in the world that you've made and, and put us in. Oh, I pray, Father, this morning that if I stepped on toes or stepped on fingers or stepped on ears, (laughs) Father, that uh, it was for your glory. We would listen to you. I pray, Father, maybe we leave this morning with a a holy reverence for who you are and maybe a twisting in our soul to say, I want to know what part I am. I want to know how you would want to use me. I pray, Father, that as we pray earnest prayers and seek genuinely who you are and hear from brothers and sisters who know you and who believe in you to speak into our lives, we would let their voices be clarified and get into our soul that we could listen to who you say we are and that we'd be useful to you, that we'd be glorifying to you, indeed, that we'd be redeemed, not for my fancy words, or our, our, but because of who you are. Father, for brothers and sisters, not yet. For those who are maybe here this morning and they go, man, these church people are crazy. I remember, Father. I remember, but I know you. I pray that they would come to know you in that same way. I pray that you would break in with the power of your spirit into their very soul. I pray that you would teach them in a way that no human could unteach them, that you would renew their hearts, that they would know you, they would believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and then be converted by the power of the Holy Spirit. And only you do that work. We don't do it. You do it. We rejoice in it, and we trust you with it. So, Father, if there's those who are listening who need conversion, Father, I pray you convert them by your power. Do your work amongst your people, and we glorify you, Lord. We, we cheer for you and all that you're doing. Father, make your name famous among the nations. Help us to be part of your body. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.